Good evening, dumb nation, the Don't Unfriend Me nation. This is Breaking Truth. And tonight we're going to be talking about these debates. I've been watching them all week long, and actually for the last couple of weeks. And there is something very, very clear. The days of old where we could learn something from a debate is over. These are really just a bunch of talking points. Nobody answers the question anymore. But more importantly, the candidates themselves, what in the heck is going on? Why are they putting these people on stage? That is my first question. We're going to answer it tonight and get into the finer points of debate, whether it means anything or not. Stay tuned. I'll be back in 30 seconds. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Thanks for watching Breaking Truth, and please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and follow. Thank you so much for watching Breaking Truth, and my name is Matthew Spear. Once again, it's good to have you on tonight. We're live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Tonight we'll be there, 8.30 Eastern, with Leroy and Amy and myself, and then we record a show Monday through Friday just to kind of give you an update on current events and things to that effect. Hope you enjoy. Stop by the Don't Unfriendly store if you wouldn't mind. We'll talk more about that once we get into the show. Debates. Did everyone watch the Fetterman debate against Dr. Oz? It's funny, very similar to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I didn't think either of them were going to uh, put on a very good show when it came to debating. And obviously Hillary Clinton did it. She's a horrible debater. Her monotone, dry, angry Karen attitude. And I thought Donald Trump was the Donald Trump from The Apprentice. You're fired. You know, that type of thing. But he impressed me as how direct he was and aggressive, and he interrupted a lot, but there were things I didn't expect. He talked about conservative values, and I learned a lot from that debate, and I learned more about his movement towards the right versus his career as a fairly blue-collar Democrat. But I learned that more on party platform. I didn't necessarily learn that during the debate against Hillary. I just enjoyed seeing Hillary get swatted around. And when it came to Fetterman and Dr. Oz, I felt the same way. I felt Dr. Oz has been a lifelong liberal. I don't like his policies on gun control, abortion, and other things. But he seems to have changed his viewpoint. Well, at least platform in order to be elected as a Republican. I'm circumspect. However, Fetterman is a completely different conversation. So was Whitmer and Dixon, and so was Herschel Walker versus Warnock. All very interesting. I'm going to show you two videos of Warnock and Walker, this one setting up on the stage where Herschel Walker did much better than expected. But that's really the thing. In debates, you have high expectations for the people who are supposed to do well, and they always underperform. And you have low expectations for the people who you don't expect to do well, and then they always do well. It's interesting. What if we went in with no expectation and just listened to the candidate and see if they resonated with us? But that would take a completely different level of thinking. Watch this. One thing I have not done, I've never pretended to be a police officer. And, and, and I've, never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. 
Well, and now I have to respond to that. We are, we are, we are no, moving no, 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 on, no. gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am. Oh, the badge. Herschel Walker is not a police officer. He is an honorary sheriff's department and, 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 and police officer. What he did is he has donated time. He has helped the police. He has contributed. He's helped underprivileged youth. They gave him an honorary certificate. I seriously doubt they gave him a badge. But either way, he's not a cop. And for him to pull this out really hurt him in a debate where he was doing fairly well. And the reason why is he continued to push this narrative versus saying, listen, I can understand why people are, are questioning uh, my motives here. I think that's fair, but I'm going to pull out a toy badge and then all of a sudden that's going to shush the room. It really has a juvenile, more of a petulant tone to it, which lessens him as a candidate. But here's the thing you heard. Well, we didn't expect much from Herschel Walker anyway, but for the rest of the debate, he did well. Why have our standards reached an all-time low? Why are we acceptable with no longer voting for politicians who are polished and well-spoken? Well, we know because they frivolously spend and they never do anything for the United States, but then replace it with people who are so down to earth that they really are not at the intellectual capacity to do the job. Now, Herschel Walker had a good debate. I'm not, I'm not going to say he didn't. However, when it comes to overall his talking points, the way he expresses himself, or how he plans on getting things done, leaves a lot to be desired. Work with many police officers, <laughs> and at the same time... Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, excuse me, Mr. Walker, please, out of respect, truth, truth I, I, I need here. to let you know, Mr. Yes. Walker, you are very well yes. aware of the rules tonight, Yes. and you have a prop. Yes. That is not allowed, sir. Yeah. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it this is, is real. And he said, I but, have a problem. I never want the law enforcement. It is considered a prop, Mr. Mr. Walker. Oh, yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules, aren't you? Well, aren't he, you aware of he the rules? brought up the truth. Well, let's talk about the truth. Th thank you for putting that yes. prop away. Yeah, not, not the best moment for old Herschel Walker. Uh, I call that a fumble. Do I have a rim shot? Oh, forget about it. Here's the problem. Herschel Walker on any given Sunday under any Friday night lights would not be a candidate that would be endorsed. However, there is a new form of candidate, the person who's unpolished. We see a lot of military people who are have tattoos and beards. Can't believe those people. What horrible candidates. I <laughs> I mean, if I, I'm, I'll never run. But the point is, is that you look and it's not the prototypical candidate, but they've got something between the ears. Dan Crenshaw comes to mind, Eli Crane, uh, Luttrell, very intelligent, smart people. Herschel Walker is not necessarily uh, going to win any awards or Nobel Peace Prizes in his existence. But what he has is a heart. And you wonder, is that enough? And in his case, it very well might be because Warnock doesn't have one at all. But there's an interesting thing. We're talking about hearts. We're talking about brains. It's almost the Wizard of Oz. What we need is a lot of courage. But there's nobody behind the curtain handing these things out. And certainly not brains when it comes to Whitmer. Or excuse me, certainly not brains when it comes to Fetterman. Because let's face it, folks, he had a stroke. Watch this. Senator, you have 60 seconds. Hi. Good night, everybody. I'm running to serve. 
we obviously did not start off well. Fetterman was never a rocket surgeon at any given time. Uh, His policies are bad. He's progressive. On crime, he is horribly soft. And Philadelphia is no better for having him in charge of the people's movement and ideals for where that state needs to be. Is Dr. Oz the answer? Well, after last night, I pretty much guarantee you the answer is yes. Not because Dr. Oz is some amazing great white hope for Pennsylvania. It's the fact that he can put two sentences together and he can articulate his points. Now, Fetterman's never been able to do this, but after a stroke, this is almost impossible. I said when I was watching the debate, I think Dr. Oz should have went over there as a doctor, put his hand on his shoulder, covered the mic and said, you know, Mr. Fetterman, are you okay? We can stop or can we get this guy a glass of water or something to show some compassion? I think it would have played a lot better than his pompous smile and smugness. But most assuredly, Dr. Oz won the debate last night unequivocally. And this is why. Listen to the rest. Of Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. Here's a man that spent more than $20 million of his own money to try to buy that seat. I'm also having to talk about something called the Oz rule, that if he's on TV, he's lying. He did that during his career on his TV show. He's done that during his campaign about lying about our record here. And he's also lying probably during this debate. And let's also talk about the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate, mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. And this campaign is all about, to me, is about fighting for everyone in Pennsylvania that ever got knocked down that needs to get back up and fighting for all forgotten communities all across Pennsylvania that also got knocked down that needs to keep get back up. Thank you very much, Mr. Federman. Mr. Oz. At that point, Mohammed Oz just simply should have shut up, not said another word. And the reason why is because when your opponent is struggling as mightily as Fetterman was, you let him continue. Fetterman is not the choice. He's not a good choice, never was. And this certainly doesn't increase his odds. Mohammed Oz, no matter what you think of him, there is enough aligned with Republicans that we should support and vote for him. But we also should keep a watchful eye that he doesn't fall back into some very old habits. But here's the thing. I think it's effective to have a debate. I do. But the most important thing a debate does is really mole out and remove a crop of candidates. If they can get on stage and nor embarrass themselves, you can successfully move on to the next stage. You can have a good event as long as you don't do that. Fetterman Herschel Walker, two very large mistakes. Whitmer made them as well. And although they are moving on, the question is, should they? It doesn't mean it was a good debate. We probably didn't hear all the various facets of the subject discussed in earnest anyway. And it's designed to do that. When you have 30 seconds to answer a 20-minute question, it really is not an effort in accuracy. It's an effort in futility to try to pack as much as you can, whether it makes sense or not. And more importantly, take five seconds to do that and then 25 seconds to disparage your candidate. That's not debating. For general purposes, as well as debates, 
a politician doesn't have to have command of a huge pool of facts in their head, but he or she does need to know a little bit about damn near everything. And all the most likely subjects are discussed in debate and preparation sessions with the candidate actually behind the podium and four to eight staffers hammering them away ad ad nauseum. It is there that they come up with the safest canned responses that vaguely outline their position of thoughts in the question asked. They are very difficult to pin down in the debate unless it is a fellow debater confronting them who is well-armed with facts and just basically lashes out or steamrolls them with disputable or indisputable facts. An emphasis on past behavior can be devastating. Fetterman felt suffered to this all night long, was hammered whether they were real or not, and was unable to retort because he did have a stroke, and he was never very good at this anyway. Opposition research is a very real and huge thing in any debate, and the candidate relies on this staff to find all the weaknesses and skeletons in the closets. Then they formulate statements the candidate can make that don't come back on him and her. A good debater is the one that survives the debate with the least amount of bloodshed, but they must have been engaged and be well, impressive in their confrontations with other candidates on the stage. Congressman Tulsi Gabbard is one, and in one debate effectively triggered the end of Senator Kamala Harris's presidential hopes, thank God, by having a solid understanding of her conflicted past and present and the actual proposed actions of Kamala Harris versus the actual reality. But does anything really get achieved in these debates? And the short answer is no. In my experience, it really depends on the person you're debating. If there is any value add received, there are people who can separate what they believe from who they are, and there are people who cannot. And in other words, there are people that view rejection of their belief and rejection of themselves personally as the same thing. Some people can separate the two. I read a quote by Aristotle one time, and it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. If someone invests enough time into honest learning and self-reflection, they realize that there is so little black and white in the world and so few things that are absolutely certain. They acknowledge that someone can be both intelligent, good, and earnest without necessarily agreeing with them on an issue. The other side of the coin is a dogmatic mind. These are people who equate differing opinions as evil or immoral in some way. The world is very black and white to these folks. When you disagree with these folks or reject their beliefs in some way, they get offended or defensive because they feel personally rejected. It's on both sides of the aisle. If you're saying, oh, well, that's a lefty or, oh, that's a religious person, you would be right. But more importantly, it's not just that dichotomy that's important, it's that everyone is susceptible to these thought processes. And it's hard to have a profitable or interesting debate with these kinds of folks. It's just the truth. Carl Jung is a psychologist and a philosopher. He referred to these two modes of existence as the two halves of life. The first half is involved with defining the world in a very black and white term, separating things into clear groups. Moving into the second half of life brings people into a more nuanced understanding of the world. They bring the experiences of the first half of life with them, but the sectarian is traded for the egalitarian. It is a richer, more beautiful mode of being, and some people make it to the second half of life, and let's face it, some don't. Belonging to a tribe is a huge drive for human beings. We're social creatures, and social creatures need to be a part of a pack. They need to belong. It's a part of our DNA. 
people don't have as many outlets as they used to to give them a sense of identity. More people work at home. We don't leave our homes as much. And people don't attend church as much either. All of these things, the community you are a part of, religious organizations, and going to a place of work or going to a softball game, gave us strong ways to belong to a particular group of people. And other than supporting a particular sports franchise, Go Avalanche, there aren't a lot of outlets. So people use politics as a way to belong. It's one of the reasons for culture wars. If you don't belong to Shop Union 2133, you can be part of the MAGA crowd. Unfortunately, it's highly profitable to rile up your tribe and pundits and media outlets and other influencers have taken full advantage. I'm one of them. One more issue. The United States and many industrialized countries have been in a painful economic transition since the 1970s. When I was growing up in the 70s, most of my neighbors were supporting large families, having the dad work in a blue-collar job or trade. And these opportunities have been declining for decades, and it's devastating to large groups of people to see their way of life disappearing. We use immigrants as our boogeymen, but the truth is companies are following profits, and the largest profits to be made are in information technology, not somebody who takes a menial job. There's a lot of fear and resentment in this particular tribe, and our lovely politicians see it in their best interest to stoke the fires of those feelings. The best way to discourage making every person is don't. Don't demonize people who support something you don't. I believe the majority are good people with good intentions wanting to do the right thing. And I'm not talking about those who support hateful, malicious ideas. But if your neighbor loves a politician whose views you find repulsive or contemptible, instead immediately explaining why they're wrong, and you're right, ask them how they came to support these ideas. More often than not, they'll tell you a personal story. For example, my dad got laid off from his job making car components and he just kind of gave up. I had to leave college to support the family, and I can't stand watching our jobs getting taken by blank, blank, blank. I know when I have more empathy for another person's perspective, I feel connected, and I have an understanding, and I find there's more space for finding a middle ground, if not common ground. We probably won't agree, but we can respect each other in disagreement. That is the essence of what this channel tries to uphold, no matter how difficult it is at times. Politics is the art of compromise, and politicians are in the business of making deals. Unlike private business persons, they make deals regarding very big things and very large amounts of other people's money. Morals are things we say should not be compromised. They are the norms of right and wrong for a particular society. It is often said that you can't legislate morality, but every law has some moral principle behind it, even if it's a bad one, like apartheid in South Africa for instance. Apartheid. Sorry. Ethics are rules for individual conduct. Some politicians are unethical, willing to compromise the public's morals, either to get a deal done for something else or for personal gain. And all politicians must compromise unless they are dictators. This means that looking to them to uphold public morals is a bad idea, and also idolizing for their beliefs is another. It is simply not possible for a society to be morally perfect all the time, but if those politicians are unethical, compromising for personal gain rather than public gain, they should be voted out of office, and no debate 
should convince you otherwise. Folks, that's it for tonight. Thank you so much. I am in a hurry. I've got 16 minutes to get on the live show. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans are, uh, commit suicide a day. It is way too many. Please provide them this number. Have a conversation with a veteran. Nobody is turned away. It's free of charge, and you don't have to be a veteran to use it. If you're suffering from mental health, TBI, anxiety, depression, PTS, call this number. I think I got it all out. Folks, go to donutandfriendly.com, buy some coffee, buy some mugs, buy some shirts, buy some hats, all that stuff. Just stop on by. I'll see you tomorrow night. I'll see you at 8.30 tonight. God bless and have a wonderful night. Thanks for watching Breaking Truth, and please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and follow.